In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. We should be celebrating a victory Wednesday, Tuesday. I don't even know what day it is, but I'm not. I'm here with Ian. Right, right, right. Ian, I was in your city yesterday. Sorry, I didn't stop. Yeah, I uh, I wake up. I'm on my way to taking the little one to daycare, and it says Paul Brown is in Chicago, Illinois. I'm like, he's come to see me. He's finally he's come to to help me. You know, for all those that don't know, I was in deep mourning on Tuesday, very very deep mourning, um, and I was kind of hopeful Paul was going to be here to console me, but instead, he just used my city and left me like he always does. Yeah, so let's break this podcast down in Pittsburgh. The aftermath, right in the offense, defense, special team. That's going to be fun. And uh, there's no Jack Duffin. Jack said he was so fucked off with the game, he's not coming on. Yeah, Jack's actually sitting there trying to answer everybody's questions about how we can get out of a Deshaun Watson contract. So he's a little busy right now. I can't believe he's already posted that. And just to plug a bit of Jack Duffin, because he loves it when I do this. If you want to read about how to get out of the Jack, uh, how to get out of the Jack Duffin Paul Brown podcast, go to the RBA, ABR. It tells you everything. No, if you want to get out of the Deshaun Watson contract. Good old Jack's broken it down. How much is it going to cost us? Um, basically, his conclusion, I'm ruining the article, says play him to the bye week and then play DTR. That's what his conclusion was. I read his article. We all know Duffin has the soul of a ginger, okay? He, he damn well knows the Browns are not sitting a quarterback. They paid $51 million in cash to uh, I will say though, I have another buddy who cracks me up. He, he's a eternal Browns pessimist. And oh, right after the game, he basically says it's time to trade miles Garrett. It's time to trade David Njoku. <laughs> and I'm like, well, trading miles Garrett. And I might not that be uh, all that easy. So if Duffin wants a second contract uh, contract article, the right recommend how soon we can get out of the miles Garrett deal. So I can send it over to my buddy, Seth. Uh, because he is convinced after watching TJ Watt impact games and miles Garrett, not impact games, AKA box score watching that miles Garrett isn't worth the money that is printed on. So he wants to move on, but Paul, let's, let's well, just well, ring. Let's, let's well, ring. Well, this. I saw miles Garrett after the uh, Browns game. Well, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Cause we're coming to that. We're going to dedicate this podcast to the Paul Brown experience. And we're going to talk a little bit about the game. There is so much Browns content out there right now because of everything that happened. But let's start optimistically because we all know Paul's the optimist. Paul, you leave Cleveland on Monday. You head to Pittsburgh. Walk us through getting to Pittsburgh, the bus ride, the tailgates. The world wants to know, did you get assaulted with any deli meats, anything like that? Lead us up. Deli meat. That was a knuckle of ham. But no, um. I'll wrap up really quickly because I know, uh, as always, we want to do a podcast in 15 minutes. But we travelled down on the bus. Everyone was in great mood. Everyone thought the Browns were going to win. We had a couple of Steelers fans. They were shitting themselves. Down, we started raining. I was like, yes, it's going to rain. I've got a £550 
Columbus car parking ticket. My flight's been cancelled. Nothing more wrong can go. Nothing more can go wrong on this trip except for being a Browns fan, and we know what's going to happen. Um, turn up the tailgate three o'clock. Started drinking. The Gants set up next to us. Car park. There was eighty percent Browns fans, twenty percent Steelers fans. Steelers fans do not tailgate anywhere like the Browns fans. There's two differences, and I'm going to be honest, and I'm always honest, actually. There's two things better about Pittsburgh uh, tailgating than Browns, and that's it. The cooking equipment that the Pittsburgh Steelers fans use is A1. It's clean. It's high quality. They don't mess around. Number two, the Pittsburgh Steelers girls. Wow. At the tailgate, they were hotter than the Cleveland Browns ones. And look, Cleveland, don't come at me. I'm just telling you what I see. I'm fair. I'm honest. They were smoking hot. I I will say this, Paul, and I discussed this at length on the pre-show, and I think we have to caveat this a little bit. I think in growing up in Northern Ohio, there are oodles and dozens and thousands of beautiful girls who are Browns fans. They don't go to the Muni lot. They don't go to West. They don't go to the, the, the pit, right? All of the attractive girls in Cleveland have a little bit more of a highbrow standard, like you mentioned about the tailgating equipment. So, Paul, over the years in the Muni lot, um, men have dunked their head into buckets of urine. They've vomited all over themselves. They've shit themselves. They've pissed themselves. There's always a fight. There's always something going on. The beautiful women of Cleveland say, that's not my scene. So in Pittsburgh, all the beautiful women, that is their scene. <laughs> They're a little bit more inclined with the tailgating. There's really not as much. Like you have like that one area over by Steeler Stadium where there's a lot of like bars and stuff, but they get filled like kind of quick. So there is a lot more tailgating in Pittsburgh, in my opinion, than like $60 to get into the Muni lot to park your bus, right? But I do think that they're probably equal if you were to compare the beautiful women of Cleveland versus the beautiful women of Pittsburgh. However, the beautiful women of Pittsburgh end up at tailgates. The beautiful women of Cleveland don't. So your your statement is true. At the tailgates, the women are probably better looking. Uh, we understand that the other 50% don't have their teeth and can't spell, but that's fine too. So uh, you just have to take you to a beautiful woman tailgate in Cleveland. That's what we need. So if you're a gorgeous woman, let Paul know, reach out to Paul, connect with him on socials and let him know where you're going to be tailgating. So Paul can be swayed by the beautiful women of Cleveland where to come next time he's in town. Um, and you have married a Pittsburgh Steelers fan who is a fan of the show. So let's not get into too much detail about the women difference between uh, Pittsburgh and Cleveland. But anyway, back to the Paul Brown podcast. It's a Brown podcast, not a Tinder hinge podcast. So Went down to Cleveland, set up tailgate, started drinking. Everything was great. Um, interesting story. Uh, met with Hayden about 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. We walked down to the stadium. Larry on the bus, there's a guy that buried a Bernie Kosar jersey into the road above the stadium of Pittsburgh. He passed away, so we always do a shot when we're there. Interesting story. Um I then went, uh, I then uh, didn't have a ticket to the game. No Browns fans had any tickets to the game. First time in my life that I've not had a ticket to the game and it got to kick off and then I had to get a ticket after, after half time. 
I did meet uh, after kickoff. I did meet Michael. Is it um Dunn's dad? Is it Michael Dunn? Michael Dunn. Yep. I met his dad. Interesting facts that you don't hear on any other podcast except for the Paul Brown podcast is his grandparents met in London. Hmm. Um. Went into the game. I missed the um. I missed the pick six, which is number eighty-eight. I keep hearing his name now, Brian. And then sat down behind the behind the end where the stadium was. When I say stadium is, there's an open end and a closed end. I was in the closed end with the stand this time, and I've got to say the atmosphere was electric. It it was. I've probably been to. I'm going to say 20, maybe 20 NFL games, maybe 30 NFL games. It was the most electric I've ever been to an NFL game. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I I know we, one of the reasons the Browns rivalry with the Steelers is so relevant is because the fans are similar, right? In terms of nature, in terms of passion, in terms of dedication, they're as passionate about the Steelers as we are the Browns, right? So if you go to a Browns Monday night game against the Ravens in Cleveland, it's going to be electric. We get that. It will. I will say though, Paul, like you sit down, you're all hyped. I told everybody going into this kickoff, something seemed off. Browns minus one made no sense. The Browns, even the shit performance they put out on Monday night, were still a better team than the Steelers, and they lost. That there was this, there was a taste. And I sit down real quick. We're getting the you know the little one ready for bed, and I watch the first, you know the Steelers win the toss. Browns are going to receive, and I'm like, all right, Paul, here we go. We're just going to drive it down their bleeping throats, and we're just going to do a two step touchdown dance. And on the very first play, as you mentioned, Watson drops back. Bryant reads the, I believe it was the safety that was covering him. I think it was Minka Fitzpatrick. He tries to kind of settle down because he doesn't want to lead himself into the Minka Fitzpatrick. He throws Watson doesn't see this. He throws it a little bit wide. The ball gets tipped up. I know Shannon Sharp kind of broke this down from everybody, basically saying the concept of the play didn't make sense from what it was. That's nor here nor there. Like it's not our job as fans or podcast people to really talk down play design, right? At the end of the day, there was a miscommunication between quarterback and tight end. That's for them to figure out. I don't know if it was Watson or Bryant. It doesn't really matter because the Steelers housed the damn thing at 7 nothing. But even then, Paul, even then, I still didn't feel. I'm like, all right, we spotted these scrubs seven points. It's okay. They, they suck. You know, offensively, they're not going to be able to move the ball. Defensively, 99 to 95, they're a fucking problem. And... All of a sudden, boom, here we go. All right, we're getting the ball back. Here we go. We drive, I think it's 10, 11 plays, go 50-odd yards, and we have to the drive stalls. We end up kicking the field goal. Um, okay, you know, it's like we're back on the board. It's okay. If I'm not I just mistaken, it was, the, it was the penalty. Yeah, we were driving, was, then Dewan Jones was the penalty. That was a highlight. No one ever talked about this. He's never kicked a ball over 40, 40 yards. He kicked 55 yards. No, that he has in his career. He's just oh. in the Chargers. Cam Dicker, who beat him for the competition, is the one that really I think didn't have any things over fifty yards. But I yeah, thought- D- yeah, Dustin Hopkins has made over a forty yarder before in his career. He's been kicked for a long time, but it was one of those things where the Browns were moving the ball. Dumb penalty on Dewan Jones on the second and seven. The Browns weren't able to get back, and then he made the forty-three yarder. But again. You're okay, right? Because the offense showed you we're going to move the ball, the Steelers' defense, and then we give them the ball. 
And what, like two or three plays later, interception, baby. Here we go. Paul, the tides are changing. Grant Delpit playing out of his freaking mind under Jim Schwartz. Jack's going to write an article about how we're going to extend or move on from Grant Delpit. I'm sure it'll piss everyone off. All right, so Paul, we're cooking with gas, baby. What do we do in the next three plays? Sack, incomplete, incomplete, missed field goal. Oh, that was that was just right. That was very, very, very. <laughs> the same distance, forty-three yards. He bends it left over the bar, and you're just like, oh, for fuck's sake, oh, for heaven's sake. So the irony is, is like, there's obviously all these movies about you know, what happens and sliding doors and all this other stuff. And it's like, well, what if the Browns had made that? And what if the Browns had done this? Because Paul, the Steelers come back out with their dynamic offense, go three plays, seven yards and punt. Because by God, that defense was just saying, hey, Kenny Pickett, do what you can, brother. We're coming at you. They punt, good to go. Browns get the ball back. And here comes Chubb, baby. Badoom, badoom. We got the DPI uh, after, I think it was, Cooper that caught the pass along the sidelines. The Browns are moving the ball. We're going, we're into Steelers territory. And I'll just say this. Whoever called a fourth and one option needs to provide a human sacrifice of some sort to make up for that. God awful play call. I don't know what it was. I don't know why it's so hard. All these other teams in the league do this tush, push, whatever the hell you want to call it for a yard. We run this acrobatic running down the line pitch play and we think we got the first down. Nope, Paul. It's a fumble. Deshaun Watson gets the ball knocked out. Pittsburgh takes over. It's like, now, have you entered the stadium at this point? Have you seen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sat down. I've, I sat down within, um, I heard the roar and the fireworks go off. Um, of the uh, pick six, and then I was in the stadium. So okay. Everything. Okay. So Deshaun Watson does what Deshaun Watson is seems to be doing, fumbles the ball, right? And we think, all right, you know what? Defense, make something happen. Paul, the very next play, they throw a bubble screen to Gunnar Olszewski. And Denzel Ward, you had a barbecue, and you didn't invite me? Hurt my feelings. Bam! smacks him right in the mouth. It's Brown Steelers, baby. The ball's bouncing around like a freaking, you know, Benny Hill theme song. We got guys scooping it up and fumbling it, and the damn thing ends up out of bounds. And we're thinking, all right, this absolute chaos quarter of craziness is going to come to an end, right? And then on a first and goal from the Pittsburgh eight-yard line, Nick Chubb goes up the middle, gets tackled awkwardly, and one of his offensive linemen go to help him up. And I, I have no idea. This, this man must have the pain tolerance of a Greek god. He holds his knee and just says, no. That's all he said, no. They call the trainers in, and then all of a sudden, Paul, you hear this audible gasp. The summary from the TV was audible gasp, Buck and Aikman saying, we're not going to show the replay, and then chance of Chubb break out in the stadium. Paul, was that on the end that you were at, or was that the opposite end? So I was at the other end. Um, classic, look, it's an open podcast. I'll tell you how everything is. I don't hide things. I text the group saying, 
nah, he'd be okay, dead leg. Because um, I saw the replay on the screen and it didn't look that bad, honestly. Like, what I just saw Chubb flying and getting hit. I didn't see his leg get caught underneath on the big screen. Obviously, all of the um, crowd did, which made that noise. I didn't just clock that a little bit there, so I thought, oh, he'd be all right, he'd be okay. Anyway, I watched it on my phone, and I was like, that that looks like a clock gone wrong. That leg is in a place where it shouldn't be. Yeah, and listen, there's some people out there that have the stomach for that stuff. It took me about a day to see the fall. I kind of knew what happened. We've seen injuries like that. I was actually in Arizona when Willis he got his leg hit. Um, I think it was by Will Allen, if I'm not mistaken. Um and I was about eight rows off the field. So when you see something like that happen, right, whether you're close or you're not, you're in the stadium. Paul, what was the energy in the stadium like right after that? Because the Browns scored a touchdown on the very next play. Look, he got a standing ovation. No, up to up to this trip, I've always given Steelers fans a hard time. But actually, this trip, this trip, they've been really nice. So um, my view of Steelers Steeler fans has gone the other way. Standing ovation, calling Chubb's name when he went off. That was nice. Um, yeah, we've got the touchdown. Game on. Uh, one thing I want to say for the record for the Chubb. You know, his family have always been really nice to me. I've been in the Chubb box watching the game. I've met his mum, his dad, his brother, you know, his nieces. So, you know, I'm team Chubb, don't get me wrong. But... I have got a bit of an NFL mentality of next man up straight away. And um, yes, it was awful. Yes, it's awful that Chubb's out. But this is the NFL. NFL. I was very scared at the start of the season that we had no injuries. Now we've got a killer injury. And every other team in the NFL has has serious injuries. Okay, Conklin and Chubb. But it is, I'm afraid to say, part of NFL injuries. And... I know it hurts, but it it has to be next man up. It's part of the game. Let let's go again. And it, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. I get that, but um, yeah, devastating news. Um, once again, but next man up. And I and I thought honestly, when Ford came up, when Ford had number one running back, you know, he looked good and uh, a different player to Chubb, hundred percent yes, but you know. Uh, he took it all the way down to the one y- one yard line, which I was absolutely buzzing at that point. I think you're right, Paul. And listen, obviously, I will just come out and say this: my two favorite players in the NFL to watch are Aaron Rodgers and Nick Chubb. I could watch Aaron Rodgers throw a football all day long. I just love his toughness, his grit, his ability to do things with a football that most quarterbacks can't do. I say the same thing about Nick Chubb. I know a lot of people like the fact that he's kind of like this, you know, silent but deadly running back. And but you look at a guy like Nick Chubb and anybody who's been in a locker room, you will not find a player that's, you know, more well liked than a guy like Nick Chubb because behind the scenes, he's not a mute, right? He talks to his players, he's or his, you know, teammates, he's friends with guys. Like he's not the guy the media is. He's just smart enough to know, like, I'm gonna do my talking on the field and I'm not gonna do my talking to the media. So when he went down. I, I was in a very much like a comatose state. Like obviously Jerome Ford scores a touchdown in the next play. I didn't move. Like I, I, I was deep down happy. Obviously the Browns scored, but like my wife and I just kind of sat there like, what just happened? 
you know, obviously she had Nick Chubb on her fantasy team. So her implications are a little different, even though he's on mine too. It just, the energy was gone. And I actually give Deshaun Watson, I give Jerome Ford credit because being able to regroup that fast and actually perform on the next play was actually pretty impressive. But now there's two conversations. There's Nick Chubb, the human, and he didn't die, right? He, he had a bad leg injury. If I see Nick Chubb, I will give him a very warm embrace and just say thank you, right? Because could it be six months? Could it be 12 months before we see him, you know, in a Browns jersey for anything again? Yeah, it could be. But in the same sense, now, I think, Paul, the silver lining to this is the Browns are now in a position where that safety net, that blanket, that chub, 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 that's gone. Because as good of Jerome Ford can be as a running back too, he's not Nick Chubb. He's not Christian McCaffrey, right? The Browns on offense need to come up with their identity. And we're going to talk a little bit about it because we're not going to spend too much more time belaboring on the game. But we're going to talk about how the identity now shifts from number 24 to number four. And you're right. It is the next man up, right? Dewan Jones stepped right in for uh, Jack Conklin, and he he tried, right? He he didn't dominate. He tried. He did okay. He's learning. Hey, mate. What? His ratings were good. Hey, not not so great on the run side. He, but again, your first NFL start in Pittsburgh on Monday night. I mean, you talked about the electric, and he's played at Ohio State. It's a different game, and just you have to reset expectations, right? When Jack Conklin's in there, I have an expectation level of this with Dewan Jones in there. I have an expectation level of this. Now the Browns, obviously in this case, we'll wrap quickly up on the game. Cause I want to talk overall about our hierarchy. I want to get your opinion on the team, but the Browns in this case go up, they get the two point conversion. They now go up. I believe it's 11 to seven or 11 to three, whatever the hell it was at that point. Um, yeah, it was 11 to seven because of the, uh, the touchdown that it was 14 12 at half or no 16 14 um hold on yeah my view we're just talking about we're just talking about something else but either way so we go i was looking at a headline that just popped up on the browns and we'll talk about that as well but we go into the second quarter the browns offense kind of dies out for the first few possessions right because you're adjusting on the flyer you're getting guys back into their heads you know into the game minka fitzpatrick was on the sidelines vomiting so it's 16-14 Pittsburgh going into halftime. The Browns come out in the second half, march right down the field on their first possession, score a touchdown. It's now 22-19. to 19. The Steelers obviously got a field goal. And you're thinking, okay, let's just run this damn thing out, right? Let's just run it out. Let's just control the ball. Our defense, other than the long touchdown that they got, which was a gift from the gods because of a blown coverage, they can't do it. Watson gets strip-sacked. Steelers get their second touchdown. Steelers offense scores 12 points. Steelers defense scores 14 points. That was pretty much, you know, the game. Watson finished 22 of 40, 235 yards, a touchdown interception and a fumble. Jerome Ford, 106 yards on the ground, 69 obviously coming from one carry. Nick Chubb, 64 yards. And Amari Cooper led the way with 10 targets, seven catches, 90 yards. And Jerome Ford had the receiving touchdown. Offensively, Paul, I want to talk about this. What is your level of concern with Deshaun Watson right now? I'm I'm a little bit uh I'm not the same as everyone else talking about Deshaun Watson. What I saw about him on Tuesday Monday was it looked like he cared. 
And he didn't look like a broken man. I don't think he looked like a broken man. He wanted the ball. He was confident. I think he just got caught out uh, trying to run out the pocket a little bit too much. Uh, it felt like he, every time he, he he felt, look, it reminded me of watching Lamar Jackson a little bit, and he's not Lamar Jackson. He wanted to um, just run it a lot. He cared. You know, look at that block he did like, for Ford to come down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, he was rallying the team up. I saw him communicating with Donovan Peoples-Jones. They weren't happy about a play. Um, there's some things, obviously, I just wish he could f- throw a lot more accurate and a lot more consistency. But um, he cares. Yes, he's a bit rusty. He came out and admitted it. And uh, I still I still back him. You know, he's, he can't just lose that quality of being a, a quarterback. Um, if you look at all the fumbles, how many of them were actually on him? I would say both. Okay. Um, I mean, as a ball carrier, number one job is to protect the ball on a fourth and one. And on the other one, like throw to, throw to Brian. That's hard. It's hard because without yeah. knowing the play design, the read, obviously Shannon Sharp said, put that on Stefanski for the design. Any coach is going to tell you anything can be on play design. And listen, we've seen that before where and, NFL and Duke, happens. It happens. And Juku was running with the ball, nothing on him. Well, he, you got you to gotta protect the ball. You have to. That's the point about, like, I know it's a freak thing and this guy punched out and he's almost at the ground and it's a fumble. I get all that. But at the end of the day, like, your job is to get to the ground with the ball. We were midfield. I thought we got a first down. Okay. It popped out the last minute. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think he played as worrying as all the Browns fans are making him out to be. Mm. Here's the problem. And I, and I, I don't want to beat a dead horse on this one. Deshaun Watson from his time in Houston has certain flaws to his game. And I just don't see them getting better at this point. He plays better outside of structure. He needs to be on the run a little bit to kind of make plays happen. His accuracy is inconsistent. And ultimately you made a valid point, Paul, about his mobility. And I think that that's a lot of times these guys have always been the best athlete on the field, right? And when Deshaun was younger in his early days in Houston, he could evade a little bit more. To me, he looks like he's a step slower, partly maybe because of age, partly maybe because he had time off. I don't know. But Deshaun Watson at this point, his agility doesn't look quite to what it was in Houston. Also, he looks panicked. Like when we're, when Stefanski is drawing up plays and, you know, I know that it's always easy to blame the coaches. I get it. But for this, to- for this topic, we'll talk specifically about Watson. He just looks so unsure of himself, right? He looks unsettled. He looks like he's thinking too much. Deshaun Watson's at his best when he's not thinking about what's going on. He's just reacting. It's such a muscle memory thing that he can make those throws on the run. Like he, in the game, you're going to see, Paul, he's going to make one or two throws. You're like, holy hell, that's Rodgers-esque. And then he's going to make some throws. You're like, that looked like Jordan Rodgers. And if Deshaun Watson mentally can't have, you know, the resistance or the forethinking to block out the people like me, the people like, you know, other people online 
that are going to have things to say about him, he's going to struggle. So he's got to embrace the aspect that he's not going to be well-liked outside of his locker room. And he has to channel that into a, a frustration and an energy and a passion. Say what you want about Baker Mayfield. Nobody ever said that guy played with a lack of passion. And right now, Deshaun Watson needs to find that passion. He needs to fire up. He needs to get going, right? I don't mean get going at the refs. I don't mean get going by grabbing face masks and ringing guys around. That's not getting going, right? That's not passion. That's stupidity. And the identity of this team moving forward is going to fall on the back of number four. And he now does not have the ability to turn around, hand that ball off to Nick Chubb to win games. The $230 million quarterback needs to win football games. There was a little bit of a mockery earlier last week with Jake Trotter and Rizzo and Hammer where they were saying, we need to hold the picks and the money. You're damn right we do. You gave up three first-round picks for this guy and gave him the number one guaranteed contract in the NFL. He's got to win a game. He's got to take the team, say, guys, Chubb's out. Get on my back. I got this. I'm Deshaun fucking Watson. I'm going to make this throw. I'm going to hit you, Cooper, across the middle. I'm going to hit you, Marquise. Go deep. He's got to pick it up and win a game for this team. And it needs to start on Sunday because if they go one and two, Paul, and they lose to the Steelers and the Titans, this season's going to unwind quick. And I, I know Jack kind of tongue-in-cheek talked about DTR after the bye. But, Paul, Deshaun Watson's going to be on this team for a minimum two, three more years. They got to get this guy right. And to me, right now, I think it's between the ears. I don't know what, you know, obviously in person you saw a different guy than what I saw. But, man, he looks like a deer in headlights on some of these plays. And he looks like he's lost that half a step. So he's got to now refine his mental acuity. He's got to up his football awareness. He's got to up his pocket presence and he has to deliver the ball on time. So I think the, the problem with number four is going to start between the ears because we all know he has the football talents you talked about, Paul. He does, but he's got to get right between that, between the ears. Well, last year we, we messed up against the Jets and then came back strong. Let's really hope someday we come back strong. Yeah. I mean, what's your, uh, what's your overall grade on the offense from, uh, from Monday? Offense. So many fumbles, so many penalties. Three, three lost fumbles and a pen and a interception. In. Cause the reason why the Sean Watson had to throw it so much and couldn't run it so much. Cause there's always bloody penalties. Um, I would go with a four on the offense. I was going to go three, right? The Browns had eight penalties for 81 yards. They had four turnovers, three fumbles and an interception. Um, and on fourth down efficiency, if I'm not mistaken, the Browns were 0 and 2, 0 for 2 on fourth downs. So some- you're talking six turnovers. Now, one of them was kind of a, a fumble on a fourth down. So we'll say five. There were some positives. The O line did it. A- relatively good job the um the uh and juku besides the fumble looked very powerful very strong that's all dave wants that if it wasn't for that fourth quarter 28 point outbreak we'd have won the game yeah overall and i want to talk about the offensive line real quick because paul a very astute point i think deshaun watson is caught between a rock and a hard place on this one 
the offensive line, and I'll quote Jackson McCurry on this one because he I saw the stat and then he had it on his podcast and he said it came from PFF. The Deshaun Watson out of the NFL quarterbacks from Monday had he was ranked number six in terms of the most allotted time in the pocket to throw the ball, which says that offensive line is doing its job. And obviously we know it's stronger in the interior than the uh the edges, which is you know to be understood. If I know that, Deshaun Watson knows that. So I think the rock and the hard place is. He knows he has a good offensive line, which then in turn causes him to hold on to the ball a little bit longer and to be a little bit more reckless with the ball. So I think we need to get to a point where we don't solely rely on the, the quality of the offensive line to protect him, that the ball's coming out, the ball's moving around. It's, you know, it's being, you know, as Patrick Mahomes, I think he's completing like 10 or 11 receivers a game. Like we have to actually disperse the ball out and get it out quicker because just because you have three seconds in that pocket doesn't mean you need to use it. But that was a very good point by you, Paul, because I think the offensive line did play pretty well relative. I just think Deshaun Watson may be relying on them a little too much. Uh, three or four in. Um, they scored 22 points. One missed field goal, which we'll talk in the specials, and a two-point. If you want to go four, we can go four. I My initial gut was a three, but at this point, it's a failing grade. So we'll give them a four, which is a little bit higher of a failing grade. I just remember something else in classic Paul Brown. Late thinking. Dunn's dad did say to me, he has got a massive chip on his shoulder for being put on the practice squad. So uh, that's why he... Uh, did he get a lot of snaps in the game? Uh, I don't have the snap counts in front of me, but I will look. Uh, what oh. I was saying, uh, de- defense, I'm going to go with a eight. I mean, they held a team to minus seven yards. They did not let a team take a single snap, Paul, inside the 30-yard line. The Steelers had the ball for 24 minutes, only got nine first downs. They were four of 14 on third down with 255 yards of total offense. I, I, I mean, that is just impressive. That is just impressive. I thought the defense played lights out. Not as lights out as the 10 we gave them last week, but I would say you're talking, the one reason I may go with an eight over a nine is the play to Pickens. They had two blown coverages. One resulted in a long touchdown. So yeah, I would say an eight is probably fair, but I think it is, undoubtable right now the heartbeat of this team is coming through that defense and Jim Schwartz has the guys now in saying that Burrow looked like shit in week one and Kenny Pickett played like shit in week two they haven't played very good offenses so what do you expect what do you expect a good defense to do against bad offenses dominate so I think I'm fully on board with an eight um, I, I still go on to think that you know 95 and 99 are going to be a problem for teams not for us you know a reason why it's not a nine or a 10 because of the other side of the ball. Look what TJ Watt did. I'd like to see Miles Garrett do that. Oh God, you're sounding like my buddy Seth. That's what his, that's his argument right there, Paul. Why is it that Miles Garrett doesn't make an impact on a game quite in the level that TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith did? It's a good question. It really is. I think you're, you know, I think you're not being genuine if you don't discuss that and say, Hey, why is it that we can have a pass win rate of, you know, 30%, but we're not having strip sack fumbles or creating two defensive touchdowns because if the Browns defense created two touchdowns, Browns win the game 38 to six. That's just the way that is because now you're not pushing, you get an early lead. You're, you're not, you're not going to blow those coverages. 
But Miles Garrett, three total pressures. Ogbo, Okoronkwo, three pressures. Mo Hurst, two pressures. Shelby Harris, two pressures. Dalvin Tomlinson, three pressures. I mean, they were coming after him. And listen, Pittsburgh's offensive line isn't great. We know that. But at the end of the day, they were bringing the house after him. I, I think eight's pretty good. And I think the defense looks great. At this say. point, I almost feel better when the other teams on offense and we're on defense. But specials. Ah, oh, Paul. We knew the day was going to come. Dustin Hopkins was going to miss a field goal. Um, Overall, I thought our coverages were pretty good. Um, They didn't really have much going in the return game either way. Hopkins was obviously two of three on his field goals. He didn't have an extra point attempt. Uh, because of the two-point conversions. Uh, Boraquez, I think, averaged 48 yards. So He didn't look that good, mate. It, the, the Steelers punter looked a lot better than our punter. Well, didn't the Steelers punter have like three times as many opportunities? I think Boraquez, let me see, at five punts, Harvin had seven. Actually, our punter had a higher uh, average, just saying. Our punter struggled. Of the seven punts from Pittsburgh, two of them were touchbacks. I'd say six. Six, eight, seven. It's probably a seven, but since you're on the podcast, Jack won't authorize that. Six because of the miss. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Their special teams look better than ours, mate. It really did. From the stand. What aspect? Their punting was better. I mean, their uh, kicker was four or four. Ours missed one, so I get that. Their punter had more punts and a lower average. I know uh, Harvin had a longer one. He had a 60-yarder, whereas Borquez, as long as was only a 55. But if I have a guy who averages 48 yards versus 45 yards, now some of that probably comes in the sense that he had, you know, four punts inside the 20 because he was pinning them back. Yeah, I think Harvin's a good punter, though. When we were pinned back, the punter kicked. He didn't get it to the halfway line. That's still, I mean, you got to think about it. You're in the end zone. I know which one you're talking about. In the end zone, just to get to midfield, you're talking 50 yards. So that's a poke. Uh, Harvin's punt that was flawless was the one that hit on the sidelines and rolled right out of bounds. That was a beautiful punt. So yeah. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. That was a that was a gorgeous punt. Yeah. Again, I still think a six though, Paul, because at the end of the day, you didn't win the game. You didn't make a play, you know, on specials. You didn't block a kick like that guy from New England did. You know, it's just one of those ones. Uh, I did see one of the Browns players try and do that i think oh really i did not i did not catch that um oh what are we gonna do paul we thought we were gonna be two and oh we're one and one that's the other problem is that everyone just assumed that we're gonna win this i kept on telling people this is a local derby when you're in i've been to that stadium now four times and seen four losses the stadium is electric you know they say cleveland sucks mate they love playing the Browns like we like playing the Bengals. You know, um, so straight. 21 wow. and one in their last 22 games. That's the day. And a draw? Was, was, was the tie in Cleveland or was the tie in? Good point. I don't know. Pittsburgh. Yeah. I think it was in Cleveland. It was on that really wet, shitty day. It was a, it was a week one game in Cleveland. We drew. Yeah, 21 and one. Um, yeah, so 
after the game, it was awful. Like the atmosphere was awful. Um, I didn't see any fights. It was quite timid. Um, the the odd Steelers fan just said sorry. You that you're a Browns fan, which really frustrates me. Um, but after the game, I got my bag, started going to the airport, went past the stadium. I said I'm gonna wait a few minutes, see what Browns players came out. So I saw Miles Delpit, uh, Jedrick Wills. Uh, was he called Owen Jones? Is it or Owen Jones? No, Owen Jones is our buddy, Dewan Jones. Dewan Jones. Um, Shout out to Owen Jones, who just got compared to Dewan Jones. The six foot eight, 375 pound offensive tackle got compared to the five foot seven, 160 pound soccer striker. This is why people love you, Paul. Uh, who else did I say? Um, Didn't you see JOK? Because he was dressed like Prince. Yeah, okay. Um, he looked like Eddie Murphy in Coming to America. So, yeah, listen, you know. So I was with the Angry Birds. Oh, Angry Browns fan. Yeah, my buddy out here in Chicago. Yeah. Um, he looks like a guy I definitely want to watch a game with. So if you're listening, Angry, hit me up. Uh, I'm not too far from you. So I'll send him a text afterwards. I'll send him a text now. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um... Last thing I want to point out was um, I know I, I, I got a lot of reactions on socials. Final drive, Browns have the ball. They're going down, right? Last play on that fourth down, Deshaun Watson makes the pass to Donovan Peoples-Jones on the sidelines. And yes, in a still shot image, you'll see Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State pulling Donovan Peoples-Jones down by the inside of his shoulder pads. And people were clamoring this was pass interference. Let me reiterate two things. If that grab had happened before the ball was thrown, it is defensive holding. There is, it doesn't matter if the ball you know, is spiked into the ground. It is defensive holding if the quarterback has the ball in his hands when that pull happens. The rule with holding after the ball has thrown is it's not holding anymore. It is defensive pass interference. Defensive pass interference is when the defending player hinders the offensive player's ability to catch the ball. If the ball is thrown four yards out of bounds, he's not hindering his ability to catch the ball because it's a shit pass. Yes, has that been called against the Browns before? Yes. Did Mike Williams grab Greedy Williams and throw him out of the way and somehow Greedy Williams got flagged? Yes. Am I 100% certain that if the roles were reversed that Pittsburgh would have got that flag? Yes. However, I'm not going to be the Browns fan that just, oh, woe is me, the officials screwed us again. The Browns lost that game. That was not P.I. The ball was not thrown. If the ball had hit DPJ in the hands, I could say that's 100% P, uh, DPI. The ball hit the coaches that were standing on the opposite side of the coaching box. He couldn't even get two feet inbounds when he was being pulled into the field of play by the defender. And he didn't get his hand on the ball. So guys, instead of woeing about the officials, let's just figure out a way to get Watson's mind right so he doesn't look like a 45-year-old slow man out there who can't hit the broad side of a barn. That's all I have to say Uh, back to the story uh, outside the stadium. Miles, Paul. Miles Garrett was not happy. His dad just said, no one speak to him. He's not happy. Good. I like that. I was going to turn around to his dad and say, I didn't even try speaking to him. So chill out. But anyway, um, I didn't. Uh, Paul, Paul, when you have your uh, fat man football and you lose in the finals because of a defender oh. error, 
How many days do you need to recoup? Uh, one drinking session. I'm back on the next day. You're back on the next day. So if Paul Brown, who gets paid $0 to play in fat man football, needs one drinking session, Miles Garrett, we'll give him a day. We'll give him a day. But, you know, um, we'll talk real quick. Fallout from the game. Our buddy Kareem Hunt back with the Browns. Stefanski came out and said that Jerome Ford will be the starter moving forward. So it looks like Kareem Hunt's going to go into that kind of RB2 role that he was in last year. Um, what are you expecting out of Kareem Hunt? Um, exciting third down catches and plays and uh, make things happen. Well, rumor has it Mary Kay said he's lost a little weight, so he's a trimmer and slimmer Kareem Hunt. Maybe he's been playing man v fat football over the summer. We don't know. I would pay money to see that. I, I, I first of all, I'd pay money to watch you play fat man football. I know I get the Instagram highlights, but I would really love to watch one of those live. Um, but yeah, listen, I think it's nice. He can come in. He's going to know elements of the offense. He'll be able to acclimate pretty quickly um, because Paul, as you said, next man up, right? We can send Nick Chubb our thoughts, our prayers, and, you know, wish him a speedy recovery because the next six months of his life are going to be hell. I said the same thing about Jack Conklin, but you're right. We play on Sunday. We have the Tennessee Titans. I know Stephen A. Smith couldn't get the schedule right. That was the Steelers schedule reading, Stephen, not the Browns. The Browns have the Titans. Then we have the Ravens. Then we have a bye week. Paul, what what do you think? Do you think we have to win both games going into the bye week? Do we have to go in two and two? What are you going to want to see? Just relax. It's going to be fine. All right, so what record do we need to have going into the week five bye? Uh, win one, lose one. So you, if we're two and two going into the bye, you're okay. Lose Titans, win Ravens, that'd be good. I wish it was the other way around. I want to beat those Ratbirds. The one nice part, Paul, is we match up really well against the Ravens because our defense is flying around. And when you guys got like, you know, JOK and all these speed guys on defense, that Lamar Jackson running is not going to happen as much, but... I would love to see the Browns three and one, but ultimately the all eyes are going to be on number four, right? All eyes are going to be on number four. If he can, if he goes out and plays to what people think he's capable of playing, the Browns will be three and one going into that bye week. It's tough though, mate, because look, everyone puts pressure on Deshaun Watson now into a negative spin. I just think Cleveland needs to just relax a little bit. They do it with a lot of players just like on their backs and, um, let him do his job. It'd be fine. Paul, do you think the CEO of British Airways gets pressure on him every day to make sure that you get good food and a, and a quiet meal? That reminds me, I did email him yesterday saying my flight was cancelled. He hasn't replied. <laughs> there you go. Deshaun Watson, when you when you invest the assets you do, I'm not being hard on him, right? He's, he doesn't listen to what I have to say. He doesn't listen to what you have to say, right? He has to answer to the guys in the locker room. And at the end of the day, you know, he's got to step up. And you can blame the haters and the doubters and all the one percenters and all that other stuff. I get it. But, you know, ultimately we got to be better. That's what it comes down to. And, you know, I think we're going to have Duffin on later this week. Um, I know he's probably going to have a couple more articles on how we can fire sale the most expensive roster <laughs> in the league. Well, but that, please go to the OBR and follow <laughs> OBR underscore Jack Duffin. And if you're not following him on Twitter, act Jack Duffin as uh, one Browns fan, Grant Puskar, or whatever the hell his name is. I don't know. Sorry, Grant. Don't know. You don't don't know nothing about you. But he, he was so salty. Jack wrote that article. 
<laughs> Jack's like, I just do what the fans tell me to. The fans wanted to know. He's a man of the people. Uh, Paul, Jack, do you think do you think we're going to go back to 2019? Best person in the world. Do you think we're going to go back to 2019, 2020 Jack Duffin when the world unites against him because he's not going to want to give Nick Chubb a contract extension? No, it's fine. Oh, Paul, we can only laugh because if we didn't, we'd cry. So, um, we got a game on Sunday. It's Wednesday. We got a game Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Four more sleeps. Game on. Absolutely. Uh, I think Paul, we it's it's about time we're gonna have to reach out to the Hoff. We're gonna have to reach out to Joe Thomas and just find out that the change between Nick Chubb, Jerome Ford, offensive line. We're gonna need a little bit. He brings positive, good energy. Let's see if we can get him lined up over the next couple of weeks. I need to hear the the soothing tenor tones of uh, Joe Thomas. Okay, cool. I'll get him. All right. On that note, Paul, we're going to go back. We're going to finish dominating hump day. Um, I believe you are probably going to hopefully get a little bit more rest. I know you had your chaos day of leaving the stadium, getting on a flight, coming to Chicago, getting back to London. But we'll see, Paul. We'll see. We got to get this ship turned around. It, it's fine. No problem. Go, right. Brett. Go Browns.